welcome to Living a Sensory Life, a podcast that I've started talking all things sensory. So my name's Becky, I'm the founder of Sensory Spectacle, and I've run this podcast to teach you all about sensory processing disorder. We're going to be interviewing people, we're going to be sharing strategies, I'm going to be giving you research, and I'm also going to be explaining things to you so that you can help to understand the child or adult you care for or support just that little bit better. Okay, so um, welcome to this week's episode um, of Living a Sensory Life. We're specifically talking about this week um, student profiles and we're thinking about our students who we may recognise as being fidgety. Now, it may be that a teacher has come up to you and started talking to you about your child finding it really difficult to sit still or that they're picking things up and fidgeting with them in their hands. Um, Or maybe that they just seem a bit distracted and need to be getting up and moving around the classroom. So we're going to be exploring this topic and why it might be, but specifically talking to a parent who is able to share so much important information for us about this. So I'm going to introduce Jo now. Hi Jo. Hiya. Um, Would you mind just sharing with everyone a little bit about yourself and when kind of how sensory processing difficulties became a thing as part of your family? Okay yeah so um, I'm a mum of three. It's our youngest um, that has sensory processing, um, mainly motor-based sensory needs. And so when she was born and, you know, the first, probably from about six months old, we noticed differences um, in behaviour, things, mobility like sitting up, she used to fall over a lot. So we was referred to a paediatrician quite young um, when she was one. They let us know that obviously she had generalised motor delay. But I think she was around three years old when they told us that obviously sensory processing difficulties um, coming into play. So for us, that was, you know, a bit like, okay, we've never heard of this. And the information that was out there for us as a family was very limited. Um, You know, obviously, say, we've got three children, so you kind of know the milestones and behaviour and characteristics. So it was quite clear that Maya perhaps wasn't understanding her environment as much um, and had different needs really to the other children that we had. Yeah, and I think especially when you have another child, it might be easier to recognise certain differences. But in the same way, it can be very difficult because we know lots of people actually are able to to just support themselves in their everyday routines anyway. So the sensory side of things, if we're being given that information from a professional doesn't always help us to understand exactly our child's needs and I can imagine that you may well have had a bit of a journey to really try and understand exactly what the sensory differences were that the professionals were referring to. I think it took four years Becky. Oh yeah. (laughs) To to have a good enough understanding to try and pick out um you know, what behaviour is, is based on, the, you know, the, the sensory need at the time and yeah. how we could actually help her and get the proper 
intervention and support at school. So she is coming up for eight this year. She's eight this year. Mm-hmm. So diagnosed at three. So yeah, between probably four years. Last year, I think I, you know, I started to get a much better knowledge. So can you just share with everyone listening, you know, from a parent's perspective, what has it meant for your daughter to have sensory processing difficulties? How has that meant kind of your family has been able to kind of work together? Has it meant they've had to change things or do things differently? How does it impact kind of the day-to-day runnings of things? Yeah, it's, um, I think... Mainly it's about making allowances and being aware that obviously, you know, a lot of her needs is is quite difficult for us to understand as as parents, as well as obviously her siblings. Um, So it's for them, you know, they've had to be perhaps a little bit more understanding in the environment, perhaps noises that are being made, um, you know, I would say maybe being a little bit more patient, a little bit more tolerant than they may be with any other sibling. <laughs> um, and just things like changes, you know, if we change the environment, we have to kind of do it in stages. Like Christmas is a good example. We, you know, it takes us two weeks to actually do our decorations in trees because we don't want that sensory overload. Mm. Um, and physical it comes into play quite a lot in our house because... You know, Maya can be clumsy, she can be heavy-handed, she wants that input, but she doesn't actually realise the force and the pressure. So, you know, that's been quite difficult to explain to her siblings that actually she's not meaning to hurt you and, you know, don't shut her off. You just, you know, need to explain it's too much pressure or, you know, they don't particularly want her hanging upside down or jumping on them. Things like that is, um, I think, really, yeah, it, it's just about more of an understanding, really, and allowances, and in behaviour as well, whereas, you know, with the other two, there are times that, you know, we'd, we'd pull them up on lots of behaviour, sometimes at the table, things like that, whereas with Maya, we know she's sliding off her chair or trying to hang off her chair or trying to avoid eating because of a sensory issue more than just not wanting to sit there. <laughs> Yeah, and that can be really difficult, can't it, as a parent to balance the two um, to make sure that your child with sensory difficulties is getting what they require, but also that you feel like you're being fair with, with your other children as well. Yeah. So many they often, parents. They often comment, you know, well, we have to sit still and, yeah, yeah. It's, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. So you started to kind of share some of the sensory characteristics um in Maya so things like swinging upside down and maybe you being quite heavy-handed um can you just explain a little bit more about kind of Maya's day-to-day routine and the things that she needs with because we're talking about fidgety fidgety characteristics specifically um and so with Maya how has her daily sensory needs maybe been recognized in a fidgety way yeah, um, I think because Maya often, you know, she doesn't always feel grounded, so she needs the, the proprioceptive like, input to make her more body aware. So things like um, in the morning, it takes her a bit longer before she's kind of ready to come down and sit and have breakfast. She, you know, she'll often do a bit of a dance in her bedroom, put some music on almost to wake her body up. Um, she also... Yeah, she kind of struggles to sit still and seat. Some of that 
is obviously hyper mobility because it takes a lot more effort for her. So she fidgets a lot with that. She tends to stamp around quite a lot. Um, again, I think to get that feedback, you know, if she can spin on a chair, she will jump in, climb in, um, all those kind of things really, I think is, is for her to know where she's in her surroundings, to be aware of her body. So yeah, I think, you know, we, we kind of need to give her that space to wake herself up and on the way to school to get her ready for learning we always have to stamp over the bridge that we go over and it's just to constantly give her body that input so that she she's more aware yeah and I think you've just given such a really good breakdown for some of those characteristics so the reasons why so waking up her body giving herself more body awareness um, these characteristics, so the things that we're seeing Maya do, waking up and dancing, that's really important that she's been able to find that routine because if she didn't have that input, we would then notice it in a different way and she would be requiring that proprioceptive input while she's sitting down and eating or maybe finding it difficult to sit down and eat and be moving around while she's doing that. And so... Helping people to understand the importance of our physical input is really, really important, especially when we're thinking about fidgety people. So using our joints and our muscles to get more input is actually the most effective way for us to feel where our body is and to feel that grounded and secure of who we are and what we're doing. Yeah, it's been quite nice because obviously the, the older she's got, the more she can kind of self-regulate with those type of activities because previously we would do lots of joint compressions in the morning and obviously at bedtime. So it was a lot of input from us, but it's nice to, you know, fit things. We all have really busy schedules, so an hour and a half bedtime routine with joint compressions is quite challenging when you've got other children. So now it's nice to be able to just fit small things in during the daily life so that, you know she's okay and it's fun the things she's choosing to do are fun for her as well definitely and I think as people get older they find their own way of supporting themselves and I often talk to adults with sensory difficulties and they explain how now that they're an adult they feel like they are more in control of being able to regulate themselves than when they were a child Mm -hmm. purely because when they're a child there were these routines that they needed to follow i.e get up go to school have their lunch work on the table whatever it might be whereas when you're an adult you can choose a bit more about where you go out or where you work or what you wear and that can then support your own sensory needs and i just think if we can notice if we can help to support people to find ways to self-regulate it's just going to be really helpful for them as they do get older. Mm-hmm. So Maya in education, how have they supported this need for her physical input? So that maybe fidgety around, so finding it difficult to maybe sit down or needing to move. How does school kind of support that? Um, so that as well, that's been quite a journey up until last year. So initially because of the diagnosis that she had and some some other problems that Maya has, um, dyspraxia and hypermobility as well, 
initially it was just like one sensory circuit session that she had in the morning but I think over time because there's been a delay in her learning she's been very distracted in class um found it frustrating with the knowledge that we've kind of got and help from professionals they've actually increased quite a lot of what mine has now so she got an EHCP last year initially they wasn't going to add the sensory needs so we had like a bit of a fight on our hands but we we got it in in the end so at school now basically I'll just run through a few of them there's quite a lot of things they do but the main one she has sensory circuit as soon as she gets to school and um, she'll also have one after lunch she never misses a break or a lunch time because that's her opportunity to hang upside down and climb and so she's getting all the input she needs there um, and things like um, toilet prompts because there's you know sensory profiles my does have some of those problems um, structured movement breaks during the day but the, the teacher is quite good she's got this year because she kind of has that as a whole class approach so it's not you know it doesn't sort of single mine out she also has um, there's a quiet corner in the classroom with sort of comfortable chairs and books that's available to all students so again it doesn't single her out um, the other thing she has a move and sit cushion she doesn't tend to use that. As you well know, she doesn't sit on it. She puts it on the floor and she uses her feet. Um, obviously, has decided herself that that gives her more than, than sitting on it. Hand exercises um, and social stories as well to, to help her sort of recognise emotions and help her try and sort of self-regulate as well because sometimes she does get very frustrated um, at school. But I say this this is all coming to play from September, so there's quite a lot that they're putting in place for her. And I think one of the key things as well is training. As you know, her one-to-one TA hadn't had any experience on sensory processing. So since she's been on your workshop mm. and got more of an understanding, she can now see when Maya needs some extra input. And obviously she knows what type of things she can now notice you know, what is it we need to do for Maya? And Maya is now starting to voice it sometimes as well. So she will say, this is what she needs or I need to go to the sensory room because it's quiet or I need to do some yoga. So, you know, the knowledge from that the school now has and the fact that Maya is getting that little bit older and being able to voice some of her feelings, um, I think has been massive. So hopefully she seems to be doing quite well. You know, we're halfway through the year, so... Hopefully, now everything's in place, it will help her a lot. Yeah, no, it sounds like they've managed to put something that's really supportive to her needs in place, which is just brilliant. And I talk about it a lot, but it's so important. If a setting can provide support for a whole class rather than just individual people, it's going to make the teacher's workload a lot easier because everyone's going to do it together. It's going to make the students feel better because they're doing everything together rather than kind of being grouped off into doing things individually. But also it's going to make that student, so Maya, feel better because actually everyone, why why can't we do it together? Why can't we get in a little bit of extra movement to help wake us up? It's just going to benefit everybody. And I think to have a teacher who is doing that and who is recognising actually it's just as easy 
to encourage all of my students to get up and move than it is just to stop one person or a group of people to do that. It's just really, really good. It's a really, really good thing to hear is happening. And um, just want to ask you quickly, you mentioned sensory circuits. Can you just explain a little bit about what they do within a sensory circuit? So just an example. Yeah, so um, they, they start with a lot of wake-up exercises. So actually at school recently, one of the TAs um, is a Zumba instructor, actually. So she's worked along with Myers One to One and gone through, obviously, the physical needs, what sensory circuits are all about. So they've now started doing some Zumba sensory sessions. So it's literally waking up the body, um, lots of input. They do a lot of cross-body movements, arms and legs as well. Um, And then they also will have a calming part at the end where they do stretching, they'll do yoga, they'll do breathing exercises. So it's, it's to wake the body up so that, you know, they're totally aware of where they are in their surroundings and then obviously to to calm them down enough so that they then can go into the class and hopefully with the sensory needs met, they're in a position to, to sit still and to be able to learn without being too distracted. Yeah, and I think it's it's just such a such a good thing if, if people can find the time to do it and i know in in Maya's school they're very good at before so at the end of lunchtime before going back into the classroom she can go into a separate space where they can do some of those waking up exercises whether it's some monster marches whether it's some yoga whatever it might be just to help her kind of feel where she is again and i think that is a really good thing that every setting could easily adapt into their routines their timetables just to support all of the students who might need that extra bit of body awareness in order to help them to focus yeah they they do we'll be talking about like fidgety students there are quite a few students that they have picked out to attend the sensory that don't have that diagnosis but they can see in the classroom that those children are more distracted and they are particularly fidgety even though they may not be you know on anybody's radar for needing any additional help and um, they do take them in there now as well for the sensory session so there's there's you know a lot of children I think even without the diagnosis I think it's good for the children for all of them to, to do some kind of exercises in the morning um, because you know it is a long time they're expected to sit still and listen oh definitely <laughs> so. yeah and, and the other thing I just wanted to, to bring back up was you mentioned about um, Maya's internal awareness. So we mentioned toileting, but we also mentioned actually emotions. And when someone finds it difficult to recognise their emotions, that can actually be really confusing, but also really exhausting because our bodies are feeling things inside us and we want to try and understand what that is, but we can't quite piece it together and so then it can be really confusing and I know a lot of students where I've visited schools and they've appeared to find it really difficult to concentrate on say a task or work or whatever it might be and actually it's because they find the internal stuff really difficult to understand which means if they're feeling all these things inside like their belly grumbling maybe because they're hungry but maybe their body's telling them it's because they're anxious or nervous. 
that's then going to distract on their ability to to focus on the work so when we're thinking about fidgety students it's not necessarily just those students that we see getting up and about and moving it can be students who are sitting there and moving in their chair but maybe because they're a bit more confused as to what it is that they're actually sensing in their body and do you notice um throughout the week if Maya gets tired or when she does get tired how does that then kind of impact her tolerance of regulating herself her ability to kind of support herself to feel good yeah we we do notice I mean Maya unfortunately does have quite a lot of sleep problems and has done since she was small so you know she tends to wake up still feeling tired um which is a challenge in itself for her at school but we you know it's it's very hit and miss and it's very you know unpredictable with Maya as she could wake up and just do a a few marches around and and be fine and not even come across tired look like she's ready to learn but halfway during the school day you know she's ended up having a, a an extra sensory circuit or she's gone in the sensory room because it's just been overload. The main things that we tend to notice at home, apart from being on a short fuse, um, so to speak, would be she may you know, wet herself just just a small bit, just because, you know, as I would call it, she's feeling out of sync, so she's not necessarily recognising that. Um, her eating will notice she overfill, she won't chew properly. Um, which then becomes a vicious circle because then she's sick that night because of how her eating's been. Um, And, you know, it's very difficult when we see that in her to try and get her calm and try, you know, that's the point where we will then maybe revert before bedtime and we will do sort of, I don't know, half an hour of joint compressions with her and maybe some massage or maybe just some stretches because... There are days like that where she's just totally out of sync, lost control, and she can't begin to try and self-regulate. It's like she's gone past that point. And obviously behaviour, when I say short fuse, the behaviour can suddenly blow as well out of nowhere. So that's another pointer that she's struggling. And I think that's another really important thing to, to highlight is that Yes, we are talking in this episode about maybe fidgety students. However, it impacts all aspects of their life. So it may well be that parents notice that their child has needed more input today by what they're doing at home. So are they more tired or do they find it harder to relax and to rest? Because actually they haven't been able to regulate themselves throughout the day in the same way that they might do other days and so we notice kind of the consequence of that when they're at home and when they're in that kind of familiar and safe environment for them to be able to support themselves so I think that was a really important thing to to highlight to people as well it's not always about the fidgetiness in school it's about what their body actually requires as a whole and how we recognize that throughout their home life as well Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much, Joe, for being part of um, this podcast. It's been really helpful and really interesting to share 
not just your and Maya's personal insight, but you've helped to explain some daily life aspects to everyone listening that are really important for people to understand um, and hear from a personal perspective. So thank you. You're very welcome. This podcast was brought to you by Sensory Spectacle. You can find out more about our immersive training and workshops on our website, sensoryspectacle.co.uk. We educate about and create awareness of sensory processing disorder internationally. We travel the world helping parents and professionals to understand specific characteristics relating to sensory processing needs. On our website, you'll find books, sensory support items, classroom resources, as well as information about our trainings. If you have any questions, please do get in touch. We love to hear from you. But otherwise, thanks for listening.